Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. At that time, Jesus departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. These were not Jewish cities, nor were they part of traditional Jewish lands. They were to the north and west of Israel. But now, from, <clears throat> pardon, but from the days of King David, there had been a relationship between Israel and Tyre and Sidon, whether for good or for ill. David and Hiram, who was the king of Tyre, were friends. And Hiram, when he heard that David was made king, sent cedar to David in order for him to build his palace. When Solomon was made king in David's place, Hiram also sent cedar to Solomon, as well as workers and carpenters, in order to build the temple. However, many of the idols that the Israelites went after, including Baal and Asherah, were false gods from the peoples of the Tyre and Sidon. And so when Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, he went there with the twelve in order to rest and to recuperate to get away from the crowds in order to teach his disciples privately. So it may seem strange to us at first that while he is there, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. This woman would have been raised worshipping the false gods of the Tyrians and, Sidon Tyrians and Sidonians. Yet here she sees Jesus and comes to him in faith, calling him Lord and the Son of David, and asking him to have mercy on her. <clears throat> How could this woman have known of Jesus and have come to faith in him? As all others do, through hearing. As St. Paul writes in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Some or many carried the good news of Jesus into the north, into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And having heard of Jesus, how he was seen as the Messiah of Israel, how he had healed many, and how he taught with authority, she believed. Upon hearing these things, the Holy Spirit worked faith within her that she should believe that Jesus is divine, that he is the Lord, but that he is also a man. Messiah, the son of David. She heard and believed, and so when she saw Jesus, she could not help but exercise her faith and call out to him for help. And so it is that our Lord in his wisdom tests her faith, that he might prove it, that he might improve it, and make it all the more stronger. St. Peter writes in his first epistle, chapter 1, In this you greatly rejoice that now, for a little while, if need be, you are grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, yet you love. The Lord tests our faith that it might be refined, that it might be purified and come out all the more genuine, so that our faith might be stronger and we may continue to hold to him even in the midst of so many dangers. As he said through the prophet Zechariah, I, speaking of Israel, I will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. And so our Lord's testing of this Canaanite woman's faith began as he answered her, not a word. Not a word. She's crying out to him for mercy, for help in her distress over her daughter's affliction, and he says nothing. If this woman's faith was not genuine, surely she would have given up and went home. Can this really be the one I heard about? The one who is so kind, so gracious, so merciful? He doesn't even acknowledge me. Surely this was a mistake. But she doesn't think that way. Her faith was founded upon the word. It was founded upon what she had heard concerning Jesus, and so she does not lose heart when her experience is different, but continues to call upon him for mercy, trusting that what she has heard from him was true, trusting that he was indeed the Lord, the son of David, and that he was gracious merciful, kind, and loving. Her experiences told her one thing, but she disregards those and holds firmly to the word which she first believed, the word which first brought faith. As she continued to cry out for mercy, his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. The disciples, either because they were annoyed or because they were moved by her anguish and the desire that her daughter be healed, asked the Lord to send her away, to send her home, having been given what she asked for. But Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's easy to become discouraged when both our prayers and the prayers of others who are praying for us seem to fail. Here the twelve lend themselves to her cause, and yet the Lord does not answer. Yet again, it would be easy for her to give up, to lose hope, to become discouraged, because Jesus is seeming to not only ignore her, but to ignore the twelve. Moreover, now that he finally speaks, what he says does not inspire confidence. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What a more crushing blow could he land than this? She was not of the house of Israel, but a descendant of the Canaanites. She was a Syrophoenician. He was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. For the scriptures must be fulfilled. The salvation must come from the Jews. He must go to the ancient people of God and preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. He has come to work and minister in the midst of Israel. As Malachi prophesied, the Lord whom you seek 
will suddenly come to his temple. And as Isaiah taught, Israel will be taught by God. These signs he came to accomplish among Israel. These miracles he came to work among them, that there would be time, <clears throat> pardon, among them, there would be a time when the disciples would go out into the world, where they would be sent not only to Israel, but also to the Samaritans, and also to all nations. But now was not the time. Now in the ministry of Christ on earth, he came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yet even hearing the Lord say that he came for those lost sheep of Israel, she does not give up. She is not discouraged. Her faith continues to hold to the word which said that he was good, that said that he was gracious and that he was merciful. And so trusting that he will help it as it was said of him, she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. She falls onto her knees, bows her face into the dust, and asks for help. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the little dogs. These miracles and signs were the bread of the children of Israel, intended for them during his ministry. This appears to be a rejection of her. It appears to be him sending her away with nothing. He says, you're not of Israel. You're not a child of Abraham. Rather, you're like a little dog, unworthy of the food prepared for the children. This is the judgment upon her, and it was true. No fault can be found in what Jesus said, but she does not fall into despair because of this. Rather, she acknowledges that this judgment is true. She knows she's not an Israelite. She knows she is unclean, unworthy of the good gifts of God, unworthy of what she's asking. And so she says to him, Yes, Lord, truth, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She says, Yes, I am a dog, I am unclean, I will not ask for a loaf, I know I don't deserve it. Yet, since I am a little dog, treat me as such, and do not withhold the crumbs which feed the which the children let fall. No one keeps house dogs from eating these. Please, that is all I ask. She acknowledges this judgment as true. She confesses it as such, and faith in faith she clings to the promises found therein. She trusts in him that there is something in which she can have. There must be something left over which the children do not want or which they've been careless with. So she clings to this, seeks this, and asks. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Following the test, the long struggle, she receives that which she asked. Her faith has been proved and improved. She has been strengthened. Her daughter will receive the healing for which she asked, for indeed, by faith, she has become a member of the true Israel, the Israel of faith. As St. Paul writes in Romans 9, Nor are all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are children of the flesh are not all children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Christ was sent to minister to the Jews, 
But he came for all. He came even for this woman and her daughter. She trusted in him, and all the time he heard her prayer. Never once in this testing did he say to her, no. Never once did he reject her or send her away. He tested her faith as gold is tested through fire, and she is the better for it. This faith was not like that of many in Israel that came to Jesus only for healing and then forgot about him. Or they abandoned him at the first opportunity that difficulty arised and helped the Pharisees in their plots against Jesus. No, this was a strong faith, a faith that persevered, a faith that remains steadfast unto the last. We often find ourselves in similar ways to this woman, where God acts in such a way that his grace is concealed from us. There are often times when the cross that we bear is heavy and the time of testing and trial is hot. There are times when it seems like Jacob that we have been wrestling long with God through the night with nothing, with no chance of it ending. In these times, let us remember that our testing is for our good, that our faith may be purified, strengthened, refined, and that we may persevere and our good desires for him and his forgiveness, his life and his salvation, which he brings, may be stoked. In the midst of deep distress, faith must hold on all the more. The sinful nature, which we have, still desires that we build upon ourselves, that our own strengths and our own achievements and our own reliance be what we trust in, rely on, and build on. But the Lord knows that these are a shoddy foundation, and it will give way in the end. He desires that we build solely upon him, so that we may last, so that we may remain even to the resurrection. That is why he brings us low, so that he may exalt us. He destroys our false foundation, that he might build a strong and true foundation, that we might find our hope in him who alone is our helper. Our sinful nature often keeps us from knowing our true need and the depth of it. And so our Lord helps us to see that need so that he might meet it. A sick person that doesn't know that he's sick will reject difficult medicine. But when he knows that he is sick, he will suffer because that will make him well. So the Lord makes us to know our condition so that we may seek him and hold on to him all the more firmly. As Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. The Magnificat, Mary's song, contains many such references to this, saying, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Those who think of themselves as high and mighty will be put down. Those who think of themselves as rich sent away, but those who in their lowliness hunger for righteousness will be filled. This is, what, pardon, this is why we Christians do not ignore our sin. We don't minimize it, rationalize it, or put it to the back of our minds and pretend that it has never happened. One of the world's worst conceptions of the church is to say, you Christians all just think you're perfect people. 
far from it. We know we are not perfect and confess that we are sinners. We confess our sin and our unworthiness. We confess that we deserve God's condemnation and judgment because we do. As St. John writes in his first epistle, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like the woman in our gospel today, we confess his righteousness and our unworthiness and sin. But we don't stop there. We also call upon the Lord who came for sinners, who came to rescue them from death. We, like the woman, acknowledge our sin and say, O Christ, you came not for the righteous but for sinners. Have mercy on me, a sinner. The prayer of Manasseh, though apocryphal, beautifully shows the truth of God. You, O Lord, according to your great goodness, have promised repentance and forgiveness to those who have sinned against you, and of your infinite mercies have appointed repentance for sinners that they may be saved. I have sinned, O Lord, I have sinned, and I acknowledge my iniquities. Therefore, I humbly beseech you, forgive me. O Lord, forgive me, and destroy me not with my iniquities. Be not angry with me forever by reserving evil for me. Neither condemn me to the lower parts of the earth, for you are God, even the God of those who repent. And in me you will show your goodness, for you will save me, though I am unworthy, according to your great mercy. Therefore I will praise you all the days of my life. So too David prayed in Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitudes of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. The Lord is just and blameless. He is merciful and good. Thus he sent his Son for us, suffering and dying for us, to obtain for us life and salvation. Faith in Christ receives this, receives all these blessings. Yes, now for a little while our faith is tested, but that's done so that it might be, find to might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, we love. And as Peter continues, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the end of our faith, life and salvation. Thus it is far more precious than gold. Now we may feel the weight of our need, of our sin, but that is revealed to us so that, repenting and believing, we may receive the Lord's salvation, forgiveness, refreshment, and life forever. May the Lord, whom we are not worthy to call upon due to the multitude of our sins, keep us firm in this faith for the sake of Jesus Christ, his Son, that we may receive the goal and end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Yes, May he do this for Jesus' sake alone, and to his glory, praise, and honor forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen. Amen.